1: from data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, the world of digital marketing is constantly in flux, so how can you keep up? Well, The Current Report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. If it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to The Current Report wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who never liked hugging her friends, so let's just keep social distancing forever. But in my spare time, I'm just a reporter and you're listening to Rico Decode, a podcast about power change and the people you need to know. We're part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. Today in the red chair is actually a friend that I do like to hug. Amina So, the co host of the very popular podcast, Call Your Girlfriend. She and her co host, Ann Friedman, have written a book about friendship that comes out July 14th called Big Friendship How We Keep Each Other Close. Amina, welcome to Recode Decode. Cara, I miss you a lot. I miss you. I know. I don't want to be social
3: distanced from you. Uh, just I so don't know. like this. I don't I, like this. Yeah. Where are you socially? Di- where are you right now? You're I- away. I- I'm socially distancing with my quarantine pod in Long Island, New York. Mm -hmm. For the first time in my life, I am surrounded by many children and it's 100% a challenge to my work life. So I salute (laughs) all of the parents out there. I don't know how you do it. (laughs) Because as, you know, like a tenth of a parent, is, yeah. uh, the disruption is real. So you'll probably will hear all of my kids on oh, this podcast at some you point. You know, I have children. You
2: are very lovely too. My kids love you. They think you're great. And uh, you, you would be a wonderful parent. Let me just say you would be a wonderful parent.
3: Thank you, you, Kara, for that vote of confidence. Vote of confidence.
2: (laughs) But listen, listen, let's get into you. Let's talk about Amina. So I think we have to really talk about the current moment. And then I want to talk about your book about friendship, because I think it's a really important thing to be talking about. But it seems like everything right now is fraught. And friendship is probably the last thing people are talking about. But maybe it isn't. So talk to me a little bit how you look at the current moment we're in, because it seems like I was just looking at the news before you came on. And it's first of all. It just it's moving so fast, it's exhausting. Second of all, everybody seems so behind what's happening. Like there are moments when history like runs by you very quickly. Can you talk a little bit about that and then so get get in the context of what do we do when we're in this? this moment of change?
3: You know, it's really funny. One of the kids in our house was studying for an AP exam. And Mm -hmm. I remember feeling very excited and happy Mm
2: -hmm. that
3: I will never be submitted to answering questions about the year 2020 because it just (laughs) feels, it feels like that's the whole, you know, like that's the whole class and it's going to be a nightmare. So the moment right now, like, where do you even start? I think The pandemic is obviously top of mind. We are living in a way that we have just never lived before, completely isolated from each other and um, forced to make really tough choices about who we are touching and who we are around and who we are really, who we are accepting into our lives. In the media world, as you and I are recording this, things are also moving really, really, really fast. Uh, Over the last couple of days, there have been some, really intense um, allegations of uh, racial misconduct. Is that even a phrase you can use? Racial misconduct Uh, Uh, (laughs) against, against a lot of people. And, you know, and that is obviously on the heels of the national conversation that we're having about racial justice and what it really means to be a Black person in America. And so I think that I am personally very exhausted. There is so much happening, you know, on a personal level, on a national level, on a global level. But I'm also really heartened because I do think that this is a moment where friendship is actually, like, intensely important.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. So you 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 decided to write this book. Explain for people who don't know your background. I, I love, there's You have so many fans of... Uh, call your girlfriend, but talk a little bit about how you started off. And Anne isn't here, by the way. You can, ex- she's uh, not available. She's working on something. Uh, but how did you get the idea to write about friendship? Because it seems like right now, not everybody is friends with each other. This whole country is not friends with each other. There's a lot of like uh, non-friending people are unfriending or defriending. I
3: mean, um, my, so I wrote this book, Big Friendship, with my best friend and longtime collaborator, Anne Friedman, who is amazing. We've had all sorts of collaborations and she is truly my, uh, dream person to work with. So that worked out really well for me. Um, I, you know, and it's, The book is really born out of conversations that we have had for years. So we work together, we host a podcast together called Call Your Girlfriend, where we talk about feminism and power and politics and pop culture and all of these things. But the real through line of our show is that the two of us are friends who live in two different cities and want to catch up with each other. And we've been friends for exactly a decade now, which in our estimation is the bare minimum that it takes to be in a big friendship with someone. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, over the course of our relationship, we have changed a lot. We've changed a lot, but we are still in each other's lives. And we have just been really exploring this question of what does life look like if you put friendship, you know, in really at the center of your life? What happens if friendship is um, a main course and not a dessert at the end end of a life well-lived? And it's not a question that is new. I think that the work that we were trying to do in writing this book together, which it's a memoir, there are like there are still like interviews with experts and like some smart like pop psychology about friendship. But the the real meat of it is that it's a memoir about us. But in writing the book, what we realize is that there's actually nothing special or particular right. about our friendship. People since the beginning of time have been trying to Really center these platonic bonds in an important way, and when I think about what's going on right now and the, the fraught moment that we are living in, it is really important to remember that um, friendship as an institution is a site of politics, and it is a site of activism. And only speaking for myself, I will say that like I have learned a lot about how to be a person in the world because of the people that are in my life, and they the are friends. so and the friends.
2: So what? explain you guys started you, you were a decade ago. You, but you, when did you start the podcast? Because we started the podcast six years ago. Six years ago, right? Yeah. Six
3: years ago. Can you believe we've been doing a podcast I, for six years? Can,
2: I have done mine for this is six years now.
3: <laughs> yes. You Wild, and I are old podcast Cara. hands.
2: I know. But I'm by myself. I have no friends. I have no friends.
3: Cara, my you should work with your friends. It really um, uh, the load um, is lighter. Let me I, tell you. <laughs> I know.
2: I have Scott on the other one, but it's like carrying four people. Um in that case. Um no. Uh it's an interesting. I, I like working alone. I'm a. I'm a staff. I, I'm trying to get to staff zero, but not friend zero. Uh, but um, but uh, talk about you. So you started this point. You were friends, and then how did you decide to do something called call your girlfriend? Because that's something people say when you have problems. You have boy man problems or relationship problems or whatever. It's a, call it, your
3: girlfriend. It's a it's a song by Robin that we really liked. Um, if we had to rename the podcast something today, we'd probably not be called that. But the Why? podcast was really well, well because. Um, call your girlfriend is a you know it's a it's not specific to the show that we do and I also think that it um a lot of people might believe that we are um two women in love like listening to the show oh um, yeah two, you know in a, in a romantic <laughs> relationship as opposed to not or,
2: which well no because call your there's could also be that friendship show well they fight with each other over on barstool what's that one called oh my god call her
3: daddy love call it her cha- <laughs> love it love it <laughs> love, I love it I didn't know about that podcast two weeks ago, and now I am fully caught up. It's amazing. Okay. Um, (laughs) Anyway, promo for another show. Yeah. Um, You know, Anne and I had, like, we had been friends for a couple years when we started doing these very low-level collaborations together. Like, we had a blog together. We, you know, like, we would write things together, and I think... We really recognize now that that was really us trying to figure out a way of exploring each other's ideas together. You know, like I, the thing that I always say about Anne is that I love her brain. I feel that way about all of my friends. Like, I love your brain, Kara. Thank you. And when you are people who, your identity is a little bit wrapped up in work and you are also ideas people, a really easy way to communicate with each other is to try to make things together. Mm -hmm. I am not particularly a person who is good at, you know, like sharing my feelings or, being emotional in that way, but I find a lot of reward in like working through professional queries, for example. Right. And so, sure. we had tried a couple of things, and another friend of ours approached us about making a podcast. I had never made one before. I was I was seduced by the idea that I could spend more time with Anne and Gina Dalvac, who's um, our producer. If they had come to me and they'd said, Amina, um, do you want to make a really popular podcast and run a small business media company? I would have probably said no, because that sounded like work. But instead, Gina said, I think this could be really fun. Do you want to try to figure out how to make audio? And that's how I got bamboozled into getting business married bam-boozled. with these ladies. Bamboo, i know so that's a good word and now we are business married and it's the right. best thing that ever happened to me but you know right.
2: I, so so but out of it was it's about friendship because you talk a lot i've listened to not every one of them but i've been to a lot it's a lot about your friendship and things mm-hmm. you like and things like as if you were talking to a friend like the things you do when you get on the phone with friends
3: right but don't you have friends like this friends who you love very much who live far away from you and uh-huh. you catch up with them and so ann and i did that our catch up We did it in a really um, regimented way because we're nerds. So we would always make an agenda for our catch-up call. It's like, I have a hundred things to talk to you about, and we're not going to get through all of them if you don't put them in a Google Doc that we are methodically going to go down the list for. And that's what the show was at the beginning. I think six years in, it's changed a lot. You know, it is, we do a lot of interviews. We talk to a lot of people, but at its core, it's still about- We do a lot of comedy. Um, Not really. Um, But, you know, at its core, it's really about, like, two women who like each other, who, like, want to keep talking to each other.
2: Well, then talk about this idea of a friendship in the middle of it, because friendships are sort of, I wouldn't say a dessert, more like an appetizer or a side dish kind of thing to everyone has their significant relationship and then friendships. I, I have never thought that was true. I never thought one person had everything for you. I've I'm, I'm always been someone who doesn't believe that.
3: I have never thought, you know, one person had everything for you. I think also, like, at, as a default, my friends quickly became my chosen family in a really, really early era of my life for, you know, like, structural family reasons and all sorts of things. And so I think that I just understood really early on that you could build a life where your friends were really important people to you. Like, my friends are my family. The people on my my 401k recipient is my friend. My, the person who has power of attorney over me uh, when I'm sick is my friend. My, you know, like, and you know this, like, uh, chosen family is not a new concept. Queer people have been doing it forever and ever and ever and ever because in the absence of, um, you know, your biological family stepping up for you, you can create you can recreate that bond with people that you are not, um, you know, that you don't share DNA with, and there is, there is nothing wrong with that, and it can be just as powerful.
2: And you call it big friendship because the, because the idea of that people do have several significant friendships in their lives, and lots of literature is based on that. I mean, I could you could go on and on. Um, one of the more popular book series is about two friends over the the, the Ferrante books.
3: Right. We call it big friendship because we, you know. We think that, like, best friend is a little infantilizing when yeah, you are yeah. our age. And yeah. also, really, what we were trying to do is create a vocabulary for those extremely significant relationships. All of us have a lot of friends. Kara, you have mm-hmm. so many friends, we you do. have so many tier one friends, as you would call them. <laughs> and you know
2: that's not me i don't stack rank friends but in my head i do
3: listen everyone stack ranks friends um (laughs) that is just the truth but you know what i mean there is just not um we don't have a good vocabulary for saying this person and my friend they mean a lot to me and i want them there every step of the way like we don't have paperwork for that there is no Mm -hmm. policy for that if your romantic partner breaks up with you there's a script for people feeling sorry about you, and you could maybe even eke a couple days out of work for it. Mm-hmm. If you have like a breakup with your friend, your big friend, can you really go to your boss and be like, I'm heartbroken. I don't think I can come here today? You know, I yeah. was like, well, it's not a thing that we really take seriously. And so, right. in writing the book, we were really trying to come up with a vocabulary for how important it is. And I'm glad that you mentioned the Ferrante books because we have read. So many books about friendship between two people. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I love them. And they're mostly fiction. There was not an account of two people simultaneously telling you what it felt like to be in the same relationship. And so we don't do dueling chapters. It's written in a wee voice because we really needed to come to some really concrete truths together.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And and, and the idea is that you take it from the sideshow or the side dish to the center of your life. Because I think most people actually, their friendships are often more important than they realize. Or they they acknowledge, not realize.
3: I think they realize it. I agree with you. I think that there are a lot of reasons, you know, there are a lot of just life reasons for which um, you can kind of sideline your friendships. And... And I think that that's a thing that's actually really good about friendship is that it's the most flexible relationship you can have with someone, you know, in Mm -hmm. a friendship, you can tell someone, I, this year is going to be tough. I'm, I'm having kids and I'm going to have to, you know, take some time for my family. You can do that in friendship and create these kind of boundaries and have agreements that you cannot necessarily do in other forms of relationships. And so I find that with good communication, friends are usually very um, forgiving and flexible about all of the things that life can throw your way.
2: All right, we're here with Amina So. She's the co-host of Call Your Girlfriend and co-author of Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back after this, and she can tell us how we can keep each other close.
0: Support for Decoder comes from Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one platform that you can use to build a website and help people find your ventures. Whether you're seeking a location for your podcast, teaching language courses, or selling handcrafted ceramics, Squarespace has all the tools you need to create a home on the web. You can create a polished, professional place that connects people with whatever it is you're excited about. Squarespace also supports all forms of connecting with those people, whether you're selling products online or in person or offering memberships. You can make your website look exactly how you want it. They even have the tools to help you create a custom logo. And they make it easy to create a place for people to schedule an appointment with you, browse your services, or learn more about why you do what you do. Visit squarespace.com slash decoder for a free trial. When you're ready to launch, use offer code decoder to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Support for this podcast comes from Hims. It can be a challenge for men to speak up about their health, and oftentimes that's rooted in the fear of being vulnerable. But there are just some things we'd rather keep to ourselves. HIMSS knows how you feel, which is why they are looking to provide you with the help you need, discreetly. Introducing Hims, a men's healthcare product looking to provide simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for men. The entire process is 100% online, so you can get a new routine of improving your overall health in private. If prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and in discreet packaging. No waiting rooms and no pharmacy visits. So while it can be tough to deal with this part of your life, it doesn't mean you have to do it alone. Start your free online visit today at hymns.com slash decoder. That's H-I-M-S dot slash decoder for your personalized treatment options. hymns.com slash decoder. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See hymns.com slash verge for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan.
2: We're here with Amina Soh, the co-host of Call Your Girlfriend and the co-author of Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. Amina, I we were just talking about the idea of friendship, and I'd like her to read a tiny bit from it. Go
3: ahead, Amina. There's an expectation that friendship is the easy part of life. All support, no strife. If it gets hard, well, guess it wasn't meant to be. While there are piles and piles of books to help you through a crisis in your marriage and offer you advice on repairing estranged family relationships, not much guidance exists for best friends who can sense things falling apart but don't know how to put them back together. Our Google searches for help, I think my friend is breaking up with me, brought more anxiety than answers. We found a lot of articles about how painful friend splits can be, and almost all of them carried an overwhelming sense of fatalism, as if it were the only natural outcome for a friendship on the rocks. But how do you go about saving a friendship? An extremely chipper WikiHow entry suggests, fortunately, you can revive a dying friendship by reaching out to your friend and showing them you care. If you've had a fight with your friend, apologize for your role in the fight and talk things out. Additionally, help your friend grow by making new memories with your friend and learning to compromise. The illustration is two somber looking people on a couch. This lack of resources is flat out ridiculous when you consider that friendship can be one of life's most intimate relationships. Sure, some friends are just former classmates you struggle to keep up with or people you see for dinner twice a year. Maybe they're easy to forget, but we're talking about real friends, big friends, friends who know your worst shit and have stuck around anyway, friends who have seen you grow and change and heard you tell your stories over and over. If intimacy is what makes family and romantic relationship both so rewarding and complicated, why would it be any different for a big friendship? When two people entangle their emotional lives, it's bound to be difficult sometimes. Not all friendship look the same for the long haul. But one thing is guaranteed. Any big friendship will face existential threats.
2: Ah, so you guys went to therapy, right? I mean, that was when you told me that I was like, what? Like, I don't like therapy in general for me, at least. I think it's great for most people. But you went talk about this idea.
3: I Yeah. Anne and I were at a point in our friendship where, um, you know, I, and I think this is like very natural. We had never really had a fight. So there's not a, you know, there's not a like you did this thing or this like catalyzing incident, which in some ways I feel like if there had been would be would have been so much easier to point to. It's like someone did this. How do we address it? But instead it was just the natural in marriage. They have a they have a thing for this. We grew apart. uh, uh, I I have heard of that I have heard of that that's that's the shorthand it turns out I've heard tell I've heard tell it's it's true it happens with friends too but you know we were just at an impasse where we were in the cycle where for a year or more we were both trying to come back to the the friendship that we had in the beginning and it was just not working I was really frustrated with my efforts with Anne she was very frustrated frustrated with her efforts with me, and we would still talk about it because we are, you know, at this point, we're co-workers also. And finally, it was actually a talk about work that led to this because we were having a lot of difficulties communicating with each other. And, you know, we finally just put it all on the table, and it was like, hi, like, I don't know how to talk to you, and how do we go about doing this? And so... Therapy came up and it sounds really extravagant and wild. I know that I, we did not tell a lot of people because it, it, you know, it, (laughs) there, there is a stigma that comes with it. And also we just didn't have a model for it. But I think that my motivation and ultimately like Anne's motivation too, was that, could you really say I have done everything to help this relationship if we didn't try this one kooky thing? And it turns out it's actually not that kooky. And so we went to couples therapy. It is very much, if you've been to couples therapy, um, I have. you know you know what it's like. It is frustrating and it is painful, but it is also very deeply rewarding. And no matter the outcome of the therapy, you actually find out a lot about yourself.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're supposed to. Uh, you're supposed to. I am not really good in couples therapy. Uh, the two times I've been, I've been once <laughs> for each of them. How many sessions? Uh, Just one, one. time?
3: <laughs> one, Kara, yes. you gotta, You got to stick it through. We ended up um, switching oh, therapists. Oh, it wasn't
2: possible in that case. But it, but in one case, uh, <laughs> I was breaking, I wanted to break up with someone and they, I won't go into it. They were like, how do you, the therapist was like, how do you feel? I said, I feel like watching television. That's what I feel. And she was like, that's not a feeling. I go, no, I'm happy watching television. So anyway, here and there. <laughs> so what, what? how did you then, what, how did you then, do, is that a conversation? Common thing for friends to go into therapy?
3: Or is it- no, it is not a common thing at all, as our therapist told us. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was very willing to work with us because she does this thing called emotionally focused therapy that's really about like repairing bonds between people who love each other. So it's usually like parents and children or like couples, like romantic couples. And but the model that we had for this Kara actually comes straight out of Silicon Valley. Like years okay. ago, I had read an account of um. I believe it was the founders of Genius going oh, okay. to therapy yeah, together. They did. They did. You know, yes, and, did. and there's such a model for this. It's like, oh, if you're a co-founder, like you you yeah. have to find a way to talk to each other. Because guess what? Mm-hmm. Capitalism really wants everyone to get along for the sake, for the sake of the company. And so yeah. in an interesting way, like that was the model that we had. But we it was it was the most awkward thing in the world to reach out to these therapists and ask, but everyone was really willing to work with us. And in the end, it really worked for us.
2: What did you, what were you seeking? How was, how did it go? What
3: was it? I was seeking only to be able to communicate clearly. You know, like mm-hmm. when, you know this, when you're in a friendship with someone or any kind of relationship, one of the biggest frustrations is if you feel like you're not being heard or mm-hmm. you just, you know, are, or they're saying you're misinterpreting each other. And I am someone who needs to be fully self-expressed or I cannot sleep at night. It just, it irks me. And so to be that close to someone and to really not understand them was a puzzle that I couldn't fix. And I think that when I walked into therapy, my goal was not, I want to save this friendship. It was truly, how do we communicate about what is going on in this friendship and how do we find a common language? And so it was, it was really helpful for that, but I will not lie to you. It is expensive and it is painful and it is a huge privilege to be able to afford that. So what, what was the end result? Are you still in therapy? Um, we are not in therapy because the therapy that we did is a short, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's a module like Anne said, she in the book, she writes, she was like, well, it, it made her feel like it was curable because mm-hmm. it was mm-hmm. not a forever kind of therapy, but right. we still, you know, we still check in and we are, you know, like we are willing and able to go back to therapy for a tune up. So I think it really opened my eyes to the fact that, um. You have to try. You have to try a couple of different things and and see if it works.
2: All right. So when you don't go to therapy with your friends, how do you keep each other close? That's a, that's your subhead of this book. How we keep each other close. What are the some of the things that are important through the research and through your own relationship?
3: So the things that we heard over and over again um, will not surprise you. Communication, communication, communication. You have to over communicate with people. You have to keep showing up. The only way to stay friends is to keep being friends, <laughs> So you right. have to keep right. showing up. But you also have to build rituals into your friendship. You know, it's it's why it's so important to to celebrate things that have that are important in um, it's why it's so important to celebrate things in friendship mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things that have nothing to do with, you know, I don't know, like getting married or having a baby shower or whatever. All of those things are great, but we are not particularly adept at saying hi, Kara, you and I have a, we have a friend anniversary coming up every year. We're going to go, you know, like every year we're going to go do this thing. So that is really important. And it's also important to just keep checking in. And so I know that this sounds very, uh, it sounds very high level, but the truth is that two people's relationship, they're the only two people that know the boundaries of those, right? And so Mm -hmm. I hesitate to give some like prescriptive advice because there is not any, but over and over again, overwhelmingly, we heard from experts, we heard from our own friends, we heard from um, people who have, who have been through it, that you have to talk about it, you have to check in, and you have to build in a way to tell each other that you're in it for the long haul. Oh, it's meaning reassure each other. Right. You, yeah. you have to reassure each other. Yeah.
2: And in terms of other things you need to do, you said you made a joke about a friend friendiversary, but should you be doing special things with your friends? Oh, yeah. Anne and I
3: celebrate our friendiversary. Actually, I celebrate my friendiversaries with a lot of friends. So Mm -hmm. that is a thing that is there. I try to build in some like really intense like rituals with a couple of friends. There's like one friend that I go on the same trip with every year. And Mm -hmm. that is our thing that we do. Sometimes it's the only thing we do all year, but it's deeply important. Never moves. We're mm-hmm. very good. Like, we are big gift givers in our friendship. And so we're very good at the the small, like, hi, I noticed that you need this thing. Here you go. Like, I... Mm-hmm. Just finding small ways to tell someone that you, like, remember that they're there. You are a really intensely good person at just, like, knowing what people need
2: oh, in me? the moment. I, don't,
3: I don't give gifts. You don't, don't give, give gifts, care. Kara, but you <laughs> are always paying attention. You know, like, no. in, in our friendship, that is the thing that I notice all the time. Like, you are always very good... At having your pulse on, is something bothering you? You also are very direct with the way that you ask questions. Yes. You are never someone who who tap dances around like, you know, like, are you mad? Are you sad? Are you whatever? It just comes out immediately. And that's something that I have deeply appreciated over the years with you because oh, it means well, that I don't hmm. have to tap dance around you either.
2: Right. That's true. That's true. Some people don't like it. I'll tell you that <laughs> for sure. Um, I think it's 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 a really interesting thing. I spend a lot more time on friends than you would. I think people would be surprised because I work a lot. You know what I mean? Of course, you have work friends. I mean, talk about this because some people are work friends. There's like situational friends, right? Then there's friends of your kids that you become friends through your kids. Then there's like, is there well, right. you were talking there's about Facebook big friendship. friends? There well, is. I don't have any of those. <laughs> I don't got. I don't got no Facebook friends, but talk about that idea of what, is there less, is there
3: a stack ranking of friends or what's a big friendship? Oh my God, the phrase stack ranking of friends is going to give me nightmares for Go the right rest ahead. of my life. I totally suck. You them. know, I do think that you're right, that there are situational friends. In my own life, I remember being so excited about making friends that were not kids that were like friends of my parents' kids, yeah. that <laughs> were not people I went to school with. And I always had a really weird thing about having a a wall at work because Mm -hmm. I never really wanted to be friends with my coworkers. I have gotten over it, obviously. But I remember that, like, you know, the early 20s, the people that you meet, like, not in college, not at your job, but in the city that you live in, feeling exhilarated by that because it felt like a new kind of friend. But I do think that, you know, some people have all sorts of friends. But it's also true that if you're situationally friends with someone, Is it going, like, if the situation changes, can you still be friends with those people? If you leave your job, like, you know, is your work wife still going to be your work wife? If you, you know, like, you move cities and that person was a person that you only saw at this, I don't know, softball league or whatever it is that people do now, young people in cities do. Are you still going to be friends with those people? So you do have to find a way to graduate them beyond the situational. And sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't, but you have to talk about it.
2: Well, there's a lot of situational friends. I was thinking something the other day. I'm like, I used to hang around that person a lot. And then I realized it was just something with my kit. You know what I mean? Like, and I just don't,
3: I don't, that didn't make the leap. Do you get the thing though, where you also realize sometimes that you, because you are a prolific friend maker, but do you realize Mm -hmm. that sometimes you are the one that's doing all of the approaching. And if the other person oh, yeah. doesn't reach out, then they also just drop out of your life because. Mm,
2: yes, yes. Yeah, I'm more active, I would say. Yeah,
3: yeah you're like me and Anne. We um, yeah. we talk about being like social initiators because mm-hmm. we are always the people who will invite you to dinner. We will always send a spreadsheet, buy an extra ticket to a concert. If someone says they want to do something, yes. we'll remember it and do it. But you have to be proactive and I think about that a lot in the pandemic, because as our circles have just gotten smaller, Mm -hmm. you know, it really feels like there are no new friends in the pandemic. Like everyone you know is everyone you know now.
2: How funny. I'm going to talk about that when we get back after this break. We're going to talk about pandemic friends and what happens when you have to (laughs) social distance. We're here with Amina So. Uh, Her new book is called Anne Friedman, is out July 14th, and it's called Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. We'll be back after this.
0: Visit servicenow.com to see how we can help you put yes to work. The world works with ServiceNow.
1: Businesses of all sizes count on IT heroes to save the day every day. And because there's no telling what the day will bring, you need a built-for-business PC solution that gives you security, performance, manageability, and stability no matter what stage you're in. Intel vPro is here to help. Intel V Pro provides business class performance and reliability on powerful PCs that boost user productivity and satisfaction. And it offers multi-layer hardware-based security for below the OS protection, better application and data security, and advanced threat detection to help prevent issues before they happen. Whether the team is in office or working from home, security is the name of the game. The Intel vPro lets you remotely update, restore, and secure your business's PCs, even if they're outside the firewall. Plus, the integrated and validated platform helps ensure smooth PC fleet management and means you can maintain and scale PCs with confidence, helping you save the day, every day. Intel vPro, built for what IT heroes do, built for business. No product can be absolutely secure. Learn more at intel.com slash IT heroes. We're here with Amina Soh with her friend, Anne Freeman. She wrote
2: a book called Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. Amina's gonna read another section of the book.
3: With the benefit of hindsight, it's easy to see how the gap opened up between our private and public friendships. Social media is designed to encourage posts that either project positivity or provoke outrage. And while we were often outraged about the news, our posts about each other were relentlessly positive and seemingly uncomplicated. We talked about the ways we were proud of each other, we selected cute selfies and modeled shine theory. If you'd ask either of us how we felt about the other in big picture terms, we would deliver a speech so full of love and admiration it would bring tears to your eyes, like that clip of Oprah getting choked up about Gail. Those feelings were certainly true, especially at the deepest level, but it wasn't the only experience of our friendship. Publicly, we were not going into detail about where we felt strain. We were not talking about the small misunderstandings and missteps that shook our sense of security and mutual understanding. We described how much we loved all women getaways like desert ladies, but not our complicated feelings about gossip or our mismatched expectations about our friend web. We were talking about race, but not about the acute specific pain it caused in our friendship. On social networking sites such as Facebook, we think we will be presenting ourselves, but our profiles end up as somebody else. Often the fantasy of who we want to be, distinctions blur, writes Sherry Turkle in her book, Alone Together. Even if we were trying hard not to fall into the trap, it's easy to adopt the positivity or outrage binary of social media. And when it comes to how we both projected our friendship, of course we opted for positivity over and over again. Anything in between those two polls felt too personal to put online. It's fine to deal with friendship strife without blasting it all over the internet. The problem was that we weren't articulating much of the messy middle part to each other offline either. We were finding it difficult to speak freely to each other about the places we felt hurt or raw. Frankly, it was just easier to cheer for each other, chat about the news, share a superficial laugh, unite in the fantasy that everything was easy and uplifting in our friendship.
2: Well, that's an interesting thing. So, what do you do? Like, when you, when, it's this idea of social media is so performative. And you mentioned Gail and Oprah, who I think are actually quite seem to be very good friends, but are quite performative. So talk about this life in social media and friendship.
3: I was gonna say about Oprah and Gail's friendship, a thing that is was really fascinating because it's a friendship that everyone reveres. It turns out you don't actually know anything about that friendship. You know that they're friends, you have some biographical details, you know, you know all the things they've told you, but you don't know the last time Oprah got mad at Gail. You don't know what they talk about when no one is there. You don't know the minutia of that friendship. And so in that regard, social media is, it is very, very performative, right? And and people will tend to, it's like, you can do outrage or you can do positivity. And with your friends, you always want to do positivity. We are not people, like Anne and I don't believe that social media or you know, technology is good or bad for friendship. We think it has total neutral value and that the people are who decide what that does. So, you know, the problem is less about Instagram than it is about, well, what happens if you are performing in a way online that it cannot be reconciled with the way that you are talking to each other offline? And those gaps are really big and painful. And and I think a lot of people are just not adept about talking about it. I know of myself that I have been really confused about online behavior or I have made a lot of assumptions about what I am, you know, what I'm saying or I'm doing online. Mm-hmm. And it's one thing for a stranger to ingest that information, but it is completely different when someone who knows me very well is right. trying to understand what's going on there.
2: Right, Well, talk about the idea. I mean, I do you do know a lot about Gail. You know, I I watched their special where they drove across countries, so
3: I know a lot Care about it. we write about it? Don't worry. I know. All right. <laughs> they I mean, did snap at each other in that um they did. In, they did. in that road they, trip. They, it's iconic. Yes.
2: <laughs> yeah, it is. They snapped. They did a lot of things. You could see French, you know, you could see they're obviously close friends, but um but but the idea of performativeness is like that you do only post pictures of what, you know, of happiness, or there's never like that person pissed me off. You're very careful not to. And it's also can become an important part of friendship is here we are. This is us in our happy. We're at the spa or whatever. We're, you know, this is, these are my close
3: girlfriends or whatever. Everyone can be really guilty of participating in the envy economy of social media, you know, because, all we are doing is sharing positive things. Why would I get online to rant about my friends? Like that is, that's for your group chat and it's for your therapist or it's for your friend. Why would you share that in a public forum? It makes no sense. And yet, because we are relentlessly sharing positive things, people make assumptions out of all of those gaps. People will, you know, people will always assume that, you know, Kara's life, your life is hunky dory. All you're doing is wearing tech merch and like. Totally, your cute (laughs) family around and and the truth is that you know I do and the truth is that like that is a huge part of what you do but Mm -hmm. people you know like everything else is everything else is private and I don't Mm -hmm. believe that um you know we have to become these like hyper transparent people online it's like no your private life should be your private life but I do think that we should we should all be interrogating the assumptions that we make about other people and so this section um the the research that like, I think was really important to me in looking at this is, you know, it's all of this stuff about thinking about how people peer into each other's lives online. And so I have a rule for myself that I mostly only follow my friends on Instagram, for example, because mm-hmm. I don't want to be a tourist in their lives. And I don't want right. to be a tourist in the life of an random a random influencer or, you know, person. And there are all mm-hmm. these studies that show that, if you follow a lot of strangers, you probably feel really bad about yourself, but if yeah. you follow yeah. mostly your friends, you feel better about yourself.
2: Right. And but so it's, a- it's weird. But it is interesting about forming friends because as I think about my kids and Snapchat. Mm-hmm. That can just devastate them that with their friends when they one is they physically see they not, they see pictures yeah. not physically digital pictures of other people having fun. It definitely hits them. The idea of whether someone has them on Red or whatever the heck on Snapchat, like it. It's I've had more conversations about that with my kids about being rejected. Really, it's about being not being called back, but actually knowing you're not being called back.
3: I mean, it's a really weaponized form of FOMO. You are mm-hmm. seeing in real time that people are aware you are not. I personally do not suffer from FOMO. I suffer from JOMO, the joy of missing out. I love to not be a part <laughs> of things. So this is not a problem that I have, but I mm-hmm. recognize that it is really painful for people, right? And, mm-hmm. and the truth is that If instead of just looking at the party and feeling left out, you just said, Mm -hmm. hey, you guys are all hanging out. Can I come? Mm -hmm. You know, which is for a long time we have all said is not a chill thing to do or it's not a cool thing to do. But, Mm -hmm. you know, people um, I give people the benefit of the doubt in the you know, in the sense that they are not excluding you as much as everyone has so many things to juggle. And yeah. um, and everyone is not really thoughtful about including someone, but this. True, but this goes back to that thing about being proactive, though, Kara. Right? It's like if you want to be if you want to be in the center of the social circle, you probably should be the one doing the inviting, and then right, you're exactly. never gonna be left out. But it
2: does have this really. I mean, I don't quite know what to answer. You know, when my kids are like that, like they didn't call me back, and I wasn't this or therefore it's 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 this idea. I think there is. There's a lot of countries whether screens really hurt us or don't hurt us. But I definitely, you know, with young women, for example, there's definitely impact. And that's been shown over and over again. And so how do you conduct a friendship when you have, like right now we're in pandemic. How do you have a pandemic friendship that doesn't feel like not deep in any way?
3: I mean, you and I are in a pandemic friendship in the sense that we do not live in the same city and we still keep up. That's normal Mm -hmm. whether there's a pandemic or not. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think that a thing that I have been encouraging a lot of people with this question about is to really dig deep into that place of what are all of the coping skills that you have to stay in touch with someone who you don't see every day? And we all at least have one, you know, one of those people in our lives. I was like, if you went to university, you probably have multiple of those
2: yep. Yep. somewhere mm-hmm.
3: in a city that you didn't grow up in. You know, a lot of those people. And so I think that it is really about. Uh, It's not about compartmentalizing, but it really is about like, how do you just keep in touch and something like picking up the phone. I refuse to do Zooms with friends. Like I just completely refuse. There's a lot of Zoom friend things. I hate Zoom. Zoom. Like Zoom is for work. I think that you need to be like really platform specific about what you do. I was like, Zoom is for work. I will do a work call. If I want to talk to my friends, I will pick up the phone and call them or I will FaceTime them because I am an Mm -hmm. iOS user. We have other mechanisms for checking in with people. I think that a thing that happened at the beginning of the pandemic, in the same way that everyone was hoarding toilet paper, Mm -hmm. uh, which was not the instinct that you needed, is in those first weeks, everyone, in my life at least, there was this influx of, we have to have these large hangouts all the time. And I was like, I I am drained already in a non-pandemic moment when I have to be in, you know, forced to hangout mode with people and I have to deal Mm -hmm. with a hundred of them. So there's no reason to replicate that just because we're forced to be at home. There are other mechanisms for keeping in touch.
2: Why did people immediately do that, though? Because they felt like they needed to connect, even though they really weren't connecting
3: Right. I think that we all felt like we needed to connect, which is a really good instinct. And also, I think that, you know, there's just this psychological thing about um, when you are it's it's almost like work from home infiltrating your, um mm-hmm. your it's like the work from home ethos is infiltrating your personal life. And mm-hmm. there's just a sense that you have to keep up with everyone at the same time. and And I think that recognizing that you still only have 24 hours in the day, pandemic or not, now you also have to deal with the existential dread of the mm-hmm. whole situation and preserving your own feelings. I think that it's fine to say to your closest friends, hey, I'm having a really hard time. I will call you. I will try to do these things, but I cannot handle being on, you know, large group calls. If like me, you are an introvert, this is not true of our um, of our extrovert friends. you're an introvert in on Zoom? I'm not, Kara. I how you know me? How much personal yeah, time know. do I need? So much.
2: Yes, you do. Yeah. So yeah. Much. You, you create your nests. You do. You create <laughs> your nests wherever
3: you are. I love you it. Know.
2: Yeah. So what? How do you meet new friends in this? In this? This is gonna be our reality for a while.
3: The new friends have been really tough. I um I've been thinking about this a lot because there is a part of me that's like, well, the the friends I have are the friends I have this is yeah, this is this, it. this is it? Um but you know, even in non-pandemic moments, we, people made internet friends. And so mm-hmm. I I have, you know, in the last couple of weeks, I have found it like really interesting to friend flirt with a couple of new people. Friend flirt. And
2: it's well, a, how does that what a, do you send the It's emojis?
3: exciting. It's like you send that, you know, it's like you slide into the DMs or you meet a new person or through a work, like in the same way that you would if we were leaving mm-hmm. the house. You just meet strangers. Like I am still mm-hmm. meeting strangers online or mm-hmm. through work or through the internet. But it is a real challenge not to be able to see people in, in person because my preferred mode of being with people is to create in-person time. And so mm-hmm. that has been a real that has been a real, real challenge. So I do not have the answer for that, but I am sure that some better people than me are figuring it out.
2: All right. Lastly, I want to talk about friends ending. Like, you, you did talk a little bit about that with your therapy, but is it the worst thing in the world? There was a story in the New York Times, I think, about that recently. Uh, there's been a lot of studies of that. Is that a bad thing or, or can it be a good thing to refresh your friend's?
3: I don't think that it is necessarily a bad thing. I will only tell you about my own experience. I, When I think about um, some significant friendships that have ended, I don't have regrets about the friendships themselves ending, but I do have regret about how I handled it. I see. Because I feel... Care, that, to, ta- care to tell a story? No, you know, I, I think that my significant friendship that broke down in my 20s with someone that I was very, very, very close with and... When, you know, we had a lot of problems and every time I just didn't want to deal with it. And my answer to that was being like, oh, she's just toxic, which is such an easy, it's such a really easy way out. And some friendships really are toxic. But if I am really honest, that friendship was not, that person was actually not toxic, but our dynamic was very toxic because we were in this feedback loop that was not helpful. And the, you know, we had an explosive fight and never spoke again. And a couple of years later, she got back in touch with me. And I remember feeling very much like, oh, it's so kind that you are in touch with me. I have no desire to be your friend. But I really had to admit to her that I was not proud of the fact that I did not have a conversation with her about the fact that Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be her friend anymore. Right. You know, which is the the hard thing to do. But let me
2: double down on that. Let me double down on that sentiment.
3: It is really shitty and it's not ideal. I don't think that friendship is forever. Like all relationships, um, you cycle in and out of them. I do think, though, that in friendship specifically, there is this shorthand of always blaming someone else for the Mm -hmm. breakdown. And we have these really easy... You know, like shorthands for them. And I think that sometimes you really have to dig deep and figure out, like, what is it that is not working and be honest about that. Right. And, right, right. you know, and sometimes you are able to be honest with that person and sometimes you're not. But I think that part of being a grown up is at least trying to muddle through it.
2: And then actually, I do have one more last question. In these partisan times and everyone's mad at each other and stuff like that, what do you do when you have a friend that? you would uh, disagree with politically or or don't you have those anymore? Do people not just not have them? They just have to deal with their family, like my mother.
3: Kara, <laughs> <laughs> for the record, I love your mother. And even, I know though, even though we disagree politically, she is yeah. legit in my top five. Love her. Oh, my God. Um,
2: <laughs> you know, I think. I'm not sure she's in my top five, but
3: okay. Listen, great. I'll take her. Listen, I think that it really depends. I don't subscribe to um you can't be friends with people who think differently from you. I'm like, I, um, I for example, I'm a Black person who is friends with a lot of white people. And let me tell you, there alone, there is a lot of disagreement. I think that it matters what the disagreement is, and it matters how it is expressed in your relationship. Mm-hmm. I have friends who uh, have completely different politics from me because I went to college in Texas. Some of those friendships have survived and some of them have not because... I think that it depends what it cuts into. You know, my friends who are very much like, eh, like, I'm a libertarian or I am, you know, I just love economic policy. I was like, well, we can talk about that. The friends who have not, um, who have explicitly sided with people, for example, who are anti-immigrant or who are racist, those are not Mm -hmm. friendships that are tenable because they cut to the core of my own identity. Right, And so. I, you know, like I said at the top of the show, friendship is a site of politics. You have mm-hmm. to contend with all of the issues that happen in the world also happen in your friendships. And um, Anne and I write a lot about being in an interracial relationship. Yeah, And I how? to
2: end on that. What is that? Because right now, of course, everyone's sort of, people are very careful. People are trying to figure out what to talk about. Um, is there anything... I don't want to give advice because I think most people should know how to be friends with people. But um, talk about that, this interracial relationship of yours between you and Anne.
3: I mean, and you and I are in an interracial relationship. Yeah. <laughs> we are. We are. We are. Um, yeah, you know, I think that um, I, like... I can only speak to this particular, like, you know, a friendship between a black person and a friendship uh, between a black person and a white person. Not all interracial Mm -hmm. relationships follow that script. There are people of all sorts of races. I think that what I recognize in my friendship with the white people that say that they mean well is that we are very good about talking about racism and racial justice and injustice when it is happening in the world. We are not very good at talking about it when it is happening in our friendship, because it's painful. It's one thing to get mad at like a Twitter troll or to yell at, you know, a Trump tweet. But Mm -hmm. what does it look like when you say, hey, Kara, what are you doing today about institutional racism? Or what about Mm -hmm. this, you know, like an incident that happened and you have to contend with it? My yeah.
2: I attacked Tom Cotton today, but go ahead.
3: I know. I saw him attack you. I was so <laughs> proud of you. I was so proud of you. That uh, was He walked right into that. He I walked, know. But he's also, you know, he is not qualified. I don't think I He's yeah. not qualified to, like, wrestle with you, but that's a that's different true, podcast. Fair, 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 um, fair. But, you know, I think that people will very easily say, like, oh, you can just talk about it or you can deal with it. Institutional racism exists inside and outside of your friendship. And inside of your friendships, you're going to have to learn how to contend with it. I have only successfully been able to be friends with people who are able to understand the moment that we're in. They know what it means and they are willing to wrestle with it. I, you know, people, people will always be different. Sometimes your difference is race. Sometimes your difference is sexuality. Sometimes your difference is gender. They're not new concepts, but the generosity of spirit, of, of being open to dealing with the difference is something that I think you instinctively know whether your friend wants to do it or not. And so it's very easy to have a straw man. It's a completely different story when you were talking about someone that you know intimately. And also, you know, people will tell you with their words, but you see with their actions. You know, I, in my friendship with you, I have seen you countless times stick up for things that are really important. I have seen you like call bullshit on people who were, you know, misbehaving in all sorts of ways. And I've seen Mm -hmm. you like really be an ally to all sorts of communities. And so that, you know, it's one thing, the thing that you tell me, the things that you tell me are one thing, but also, you know, we all have two eyes and we're all aware of what's going on. And sometimes they're breakdowns and sometimes they're not. But I think that most people, most people have to contend with some kind of difference and we find a way to do it. Now on social media, it's a contest to the bottom. But the truth is that when you sit at your dinner table or you are scrolling through your phone and you have to talk to people, you figure out a way to do it. And if people are willing to engage, they engage. And if they're not willing to engage or they are conducting themselves in a way that really cuts to who you are as a person or try to endanger you politically, then, you know, that's a different ballgame, too. Everyone should be made to account for what they believe in. And you should have consequences um, you should have consequences in your intimate relationships for how you are speaking out and what you are standing up for. That's true It's not for just all of us. Mark
2: Zuckerberg that has to pay. It's your friends. Um, no, I absolutely agree. I always feel like I'm failing my friends because of time and stuff like that. But I think we all feel, um, I, know. I think it's uh, critically important. And I am thrilled that you are a friend of mine. Um, I recommend everybody read this book. It's called Big Friendship, How We Keep Each Other Close. I think what we need is friends, a lot more friends in this life. Uh, these days, it's a, it's a it's a difficult time. And uh, I, I know I sound corny, but it's critically important. Anyway, thank you, Amina, for coming on the show. Thanks for being my friend, Kara Swisher. Oh, anytime. I'll be sending you a card that says that. You can follow me on Twitter. I will not, actually. You can follow me on Twitter, <laughs> at Kara Swisher. How about we just go out to dinner when we can. My executive producer, Eric Anderson, is at Eric America. My producer, Eric Johnson, is at Hey Hey ESJ. I mean, where can people find you online? You're excellent online. Oh, you're my gosh. I've been
3: hiding on the internet, but you can find me at Aminatu, A-M-I-N-A-T-O-U, on Twitter mm. and on Instagram. I can't wait till like I can hug you again, Kara Swisher. I know. You're the best hugger. You really are. And you know I hate to hug. I know. Anyway, <laughs> if you like this, you're one of the few
2: people I let hug you. If you like this episode, I'm the original social distance. Sensor, as I like to say <laughs> um, if you like this episode we'd appreciate it if you shared it with a friend uh, or an enemy it's fine Tom Cotton you should really read this I think you need some help and make sure to check out our other podcasts Pivot, Reset, Recode Media and Land of the Giants just search for them in your podcasting app of choice or tap a link in the show notes thanks also to our editor Joel rabe special thanks to Squadcast.fm thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode I'll be back here on Wednesday tune in then